How many of you recognize the Morton Salt girl here? Look at there she is on. You recognize that? Okay. Yeah. It's uh, it's a um, pretty. It's a what? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly right. So so we recognize uh, her, don't we? And um, uh, now she's kind of grown up, grown up over the years because check it out. Here she is uh, in 1956. Now she hasn't grown up, but she's changed. The Morton Salt girl has changed a little bit in the last. 60 years or so, right? And um, I think we recognize her. As a matter of fact, I think last week uh, we were live streaming as we were trying to get across the border in Mexico and we were live streaming and what we saw is we saw Roscoe who was, who was, Roscoe was in the kitchen apparently and he was baking a cake for his new best friend, Pastor Richie, who isn't here. And I know Roscoe is fully aware of the Morton Salt Girl because I'm sure there was salt in that cake. Didn't Roscoe make a cake last week? Okay, so Roscoe knows. So this girl on the, on the picture here, here she is, she emerged from an advertising campaign in 1911, in 1911, from the Morton Salt Company. And the slogan on the package uh, is, when it rains, it pours. When it rains, it pours. Now, they used to put it on the package. Now they don't even put it on the package. Now when you see the package, it's just the girl and her umbrella and the rainstorm. That's what you see. But the slogan, when it rains, it pours, you see, has absolutely nothing to do with the rain. Which is kind of weird because she's got an umbrella. But it has everything to do with pouring salt. Everything to do with pouring salt. So I suppose as long as it has to do with pouring salt, we'll just pour a little more salt. That's Yeah, we just pour the salt. Mm, pour's good. See, we don't think about pouring salt anymore, do we? We just, we just do it. But the slogan, when it rains, it pours. See, that was brilliant in 1900. Because before that, salt didn't pour. Especially if it was raining. Get it? If it was raining, the salt didn't pour. Quite naturally, because it would absorb moisture and it was full of impurities... You see, the salt wasn't pure, so it didn't pour. Then along comes this guy. His name is Joy Morton. Isn't that a weird name for a guy? Joy? But I like it. <laughs> That'd be like having your first name be Peace. <laughs> That's good too, isn't it? Anyway, Joy Morton comes along, and he's working for this small salt company in Chicago, of all places, and it's called the Richmond Shop. Shop the the Richmond Salt Company, say that 10 times fast. And as it turns out, you see, Joy Morton has this brilliant idea. So he pulls together 10,000 bucks, $10,000, which was a lot of money because this is the year 1889. Joy Morton figures out how to get $10,000 and he buys the little salt company that he's working for and he named it to, you guessed it, the Morton Salt Company. See, Joy Morton had this idea, which is why he bought the company that he was working for in the first place. He had this idea that if he could figure out a way to refine and purify the salt, if he could figure out how to purify it, and then he added some magnesium carbonate to it, and he figured out that that would prevent it from 
getting hard and clumping. He figured out if he could do that, that he was really onto something. Hence, when it rains, it pours. You see, because now it didn't matter if it rained, you could always pour the salt. For the first time in history, Joy Morton figured out how to process salt so that no matter what the circumstance, it poured. The salt poured. Needless to say, Joy Morton's salt company took off like a rocket, right? Because he made it pour. He made the salt pour. Now, there's a little sidebar to the story, and so... Uh, Vinny, there's Vinny in the back. I just want to make sure that you realize, Vinny, that to be successful, you see, least you think you need a business degree from USC, Vinny. Vinny's headed to USC. You see, because Joy Morton had no formal education whatsoever, none. But as a little sidebar to the Morton Salt story, he took a little bit of money that he made from the salt business and he invested it in this little thing. It was called the teleprinter. Maybe you've heard of it. You that are older, you know, I don't know, Robert, maybe you're the only one in the room that will remember this. But, but see, he, in, he invested in this little thing called the teleprinter. With the little bit of money that he made from the Morton Salt Company... And then the teleprinter, you see, it was its purpose, it was a little sidebar, this, the purpose of the teleprinter was to make Morse code obsolete. They used to communicate with Morse code, and the teleprinter was the forerunner to the typewriter, the word processor, and the computer, so you kind of get the picture going here. It's pretty interesting because in 1930, Joey Morton, the guy from the salt company here, sold the teleprinter idea to AT&T, <laughs> the company that a lot of you use for your cell phone that you forgot to put on silent when you came in here today. That AT&T? So he sold the teleprinter to AT&T in 1930, some years later, the height of the Depression, I might add, for 30 million bucks. Now, that is a tremendous amount of money, especially during the Depression, right? And there's another even more current sidebar to that story, because the Morton Salt Company just sold last month. In April 2021, the Morton Salt Company sold for $3 billion to a company in Los Angeles. Not a bad return on the $10,000 investment. Right, Ben? Yeah. I was reading a book on the Morton family history, and I read that Joey Morton only had one regret in life. Just one. He only regretted that he didn't go to UCLA and get a business degree, Ben. <laughs> I'm kidding, I just made that up. <laughs> but go Bruins. <laughs> so anyway, salt here is the Morton family's main gig. Salt was the Morton family's main gig, and salt, I'm hoping, will be our main gig as we go through a message today, and I hope we'll see that biblically, salt is going to be a pretty main gig in your life. That's what I'm hoping. Because Scripture has a lot to say, frankly, about salt, and you probably haven't even realized that. But there's a lot of references to salt in Scripture, and today we're going to make it personal because Jesus, you see, made it personal. Jesus kind of made everything personal. Because he made a declarative statement, Jesus did. Very declarative. Because there was a crowd following Jesus back in the first century. Why? Because there was always a crowd following Jesus. Always. And he went up on this mountain to make this declarative statement. And he said, starting in Matthew 5, 3, listen to what he said. 
He declared, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for what? They will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, Jesus said. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Say, look at that. Look at what Jesus said. You see, Jesus said there's a blessing for you, for you. You that mourn, you that are meek, you that are thirst and hunger for righteousness, you that show mercy, you that are pure in heart, you that are peacemakers, and you that are persecuted, persecuted. Jesus said you're blessed. That's a lot of blessing, amen? And who doesn't want to be blessed? I mean, come on, who doesn't want to be blessed? But look at what he says next. Jesus says next in Matthew 5, 13, right after, right after he tells you, you, each one of you personally, you, that you're, you're blessed by either being these things or seeking these things, he says you are the salt of the earth. It's declarative. Jesus says, he declares that you, that's you. Don't go back to the first century. Sitting right here, right now, you. He's talking to you, and he says, you are the salt of the earth. Then comes one of my favorite Bible words. It's what I call the biblical but. That's but with one T. Don't get that wrong. He says, but... And let me tell you, church, this is a pretty big but here. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? Can you make it salty again? Will it be thrown out? It will be thrown out, he says. It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot. So lose its flavor. Jesus says, but what good is salt if it loses its flavor? Can salt lose its flavor? Can salt lose its flavor? I mean, wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's salty. I may need something to drink. See, salt's always tasted like salt, hasn't it? Hasn't salt always tasted like salt? Have you ever tasted salt to taste anything other than like salt? Salt always tastes like salt. So what did he mean? What did Jesus mean when he said, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? What does he mean? Is there something in the first century about salt that we don't get? Is there something about Jesus' audience there in the first century that, that they understood that we don't? I think so. That doesn't work. But I have a backup. Yeah, see, I think that they understood something in the first century that we just don't understand. 
which is a good time for me to remind you right now that if you're reading your Bible and you're trying to figure out what it's trying to tell you and you're not engaged, not only in just the reading part of it, but trying to figure out what was the history of the time, what was the culture of the time, what was even the geography of the time, if you're not willing to go there, it's going to be very hard for you to understand what Jesus was trying to tell because what he wants you to hear is he wants you to hear his words and then he wants you to apply his words to your life right now. Not the first century. It wasn't for them. It's for you. And see, if it's for you, you got to try to figure out what is he saying? What does it mean? Which is kind of why we're here, because if you're not going to apply it, what's the point of even reading it, right? We got to get into the word of God so that we know what it says, so we know what to do with it. Because if we're not going to do anything with it, what's the point? You see, in Jesus' day and in Joy Morton's day, for that matter, salt was essentially used for the same thing. And I think we know this. It was used for preservation. It preserved things. They put it on meat to preserve it. There was no refrigeration. And it was used for flavor, just like all of you use it for flavor. And Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. He was speaking to an audience in the first century, but don't get this wrong. He was speaking to this audience, too. In the power of the Spirit, Jesus was speaking to this audience right now. And he said, you are the salt of the earth. So this morning, I want to make it real. I just want to be honest. When Jesus spoke these words, you see, back in the day, back in the first century, so that you understand, religion was political. Religion was political. That's why the religious elite in the first century in Jesus' day, they hated him. They hated Jesus because religion was more about politics than anything else. Jesus came and he was disrupting their power, their control, and their wealth. And they hated him for it. They hated it. You see, the first century world was polarized. And now, and now, now your world is polarized. In 2021, your world is polarized. You see, more than ever before in your lifetime, we live in a polarized world, which by definition means that it is being broken up right now as we speak into opposing factions. Well, it was the same in Jesus' day. Opposing factions. See, civility. Have you noticed that civility has been tossed out the window? It's polarized out there. We're no longer civil to one another. Where are the peacemakers? Where did they go? Where did the peacemakers go in our culture? People are just so much less civil to one another these days than they ever used to be. Don't be, don't be fooled. I know you see it out there. Turn on the TV. Have you noticed that it's hard to have a conversation with somebody these days that has a totally different point of view than you without it turning into, it can't even be rational. It seems like it turns into this, this, this debate turns into a confrontation. It's like in your face, people are angry. You notice all the anger that's out there? What happened to the days when we could simply have a conversation with somebody that we disagreed with and we would just agree to disagree? It's totally fine. We would go and we would separate our ways and we'd go about our business and we would still mutually respect the people and even love them even though we didn't agree with them or them with us, which is the biblical construct, by the way. You can agree to disagree. And truth, what about truth? What about truth? You see, truth is more relative now than it's ever been in, in, in history, right? Understand that? How many understand that truth today is relative? 
But Jesus said, I am the truth. But here's how relative it has become, because most people simply just don't choose to even believe that. They don't want to even believe that. They believe that isn't true. And we used to look at the news. We used to look at the news to give us truthful facts about the things that are going on in the world that are newsworthy, but not anymore. We don't do that anymore. Why? Because the news today is all about ideological commentary. It's just commentary. One side is constantly trying to and attempting to one-up the other side. See, because it's all about these opposing factions. It's not even about the truth anymore. It's so amazing to me that I can turn on the news and on one channel I see one story. It's the same story that's on the other channel, but this one has a set of facts that are totally radically different than the one that I turn on over here that has a whole different set. Totally contradictory. One story is filled with truths or half-truths or no truths. So what's the truth? Truth has become relative and, and, and truth has become, like in Jesus' day, political. See, today it's only true if it fits your political or your moral ideology. If it fits your parameters, the parameters that you've established. You see, today we're told that we can be in charge of our own truth. Amen? Yeah, but that's not true. So how do we deal with this truth, you see? Because there's a definition for truth, and I love this, because in defining what is true or truth, in 1957, one of my favorite dictionaries is the 1957 Webster's. You've heard me say that before. In 1957, truth was defined as steadfast, loyal, honest, just, and conformable to a standard. That was 1957. In 2020, the Cambridge Dictionary defines truth as, listen up, a fact or principle that is thought to be true by most people, a statement or principle that is generally considered to be true, or a fact or belief that is accepted as true. Do you notice how in 2020 or 2021 they completely pulled out conformable to a standard? It's been removed from the definition of truth. In one generation, my generation, truth definition, the definition of truth has changed. That's crazy, isn't it? You see, it's no longer in our culture absolute truth as conformable to a standard, any standard for that matter, notwithstanding a biblical standard. And then if you think that's bad, our culture has done the same thing with morality. Yikes. This is hard stuff. You see, in 2021, truth is whatever you can get people to accept or whatever you want it to be. That's what it is in our, in our world today. So it only stands to reason that today, if you just tell a lie for long enough to get people to only accept it, just tell a lie long enough so that people hear it long enough and they all of a sudden accept it, now by definition, it's true, when nothing could be farther from the truth. <laughs> just wild. You wonder why we have so much conflict in the world where people are, are at, they're opposing one another and we have all these factions? Truth. Truth no longer conforms to a standard. Absolute truth in the world has vanished. Lies are now true. Why is that? Well, brace yourself. Here's why. You see, because in our culture, in our culture and our society today, it's been decided that the old model of biblical truth is obsolete. Because if you want truth, I'll show you truth. I didn't hear one amen. In our culture, 
biblical truth has been deemed as something that is outdated. It's no longer accepted, and therefore it is no longer true by today's definition. So biblical truth is actually a lie, according to some, that is perpetuated by narrow-minded, bigoted, hateful people who say things like there is but one way to God through Jesus Christ. Isn't that crazy? It used to be that that was a biblical standard and it was, it was just accepted as true. Now, you didn't, have to, you didn't have to believe it if you didn't want to. But it used to be that that was true, but no more. And these are not extremist views. You see, this is happening not only outside the church, guys, but it's happening inside the church. Because the culture has entered inside the church, we've got to be really careful about this. Seriously, if the church and when the church doesn't look or act or do things any differently than the culture outside of the church, we've got a real problem because the name of Jesus is drugged through the mud and absolute truth is drugged through the mud. Yeah. So as long as we're on a roll here, why do you think that we've swayed so far away from biblical truth? Why have we done that? It's the culture. You got to consider what's happened. I mean, these are truths, hard ones, but true. Consider what's happened. We've taught an entire generation in our educational system that whatever they want to be or they want to believe or, or whatever they are taught, you see, they're, they're, that is now true. Because they're not told to think for themselves. They're told what to think. And they do that regardless of the consequences. And believe me, there are consequences to this. You all know that. There are consequences to all this. And it so amazes me that the law of non-contradiction has just been thrown out the door. The law of non-contradiction is a law that has been in place because it's common sense, but it's also true, that says that two opposing Propositions can't both be true, right? It's impossible for two opposing propositions to be true. One is either true and the other one isn't, or this one is and that one isn't, but they can't both be true if they're opposing. That's a law that's pretty much been a basic understanding because it's true, but not by today's standards because for some there is no longer a standard in the world for truth. And here's a prime example that I'm assuming at least most of you hearing this would agree with. In today's some school districts, you're not going to like this, but you've, heard, you've already heard this. My guess is, and if you haven't heard this, this may shock you. In some school districts, and it's coming to one near you if it isn't here yet, they're teaching, that our, they're teaching our kids now that whenever they are ready, they can choose their own gender. That's what they're teaching. The law of non-contradiction. See, they're teaching kindergartners in some places. As truth that it's a-okay that whenever you're ready, you can choose to be a boy or a girl. Now, on what standard is that based? On what standard is that based? Well, I'm going to tell you what standard. It's an evil standard. It certainly isn't a biblical one. I can tell you that for sure. But those people that would believe that, you see, that's, that's in opposition to biblical truth. But praise God, some kids are still being taught the truth from a biblical standard, right? Because that's the standard, because God made each of us either male or female, and it was his choice, not mine. And not only that, not only did he make us that way, he made you just the way you are. And then he said, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And then he says something even more true than that. If you can get even more true, because everything he says is true. And then he says that he made you in his image. All of us. Even the people that don't believe that he made in his image. 
I think that is so cool. So the law of non-contradiction applies. And guys, I could go on. I could go on. Suffice to say that as we've been learning from the truth of God's word from Pastor Richie, who's been teaching on Ephesians, and he's been teaching, right, on the full armor of God? Have you been paying attention? He's been teaching on the full armor of God. And we absolutely must put it on. How often? Every day. Why? Why must we get up in the morning and put on the full armor of God? I'm just stealing this from what Pastor Richie has been saying for the last couple of months. But I'm going to steal something else too. I'm going to steal a quote from the great Welch preacher, Martin Lloyd-Jones, who once said, sooner or later, every believer discovers that the Christian life in this world is a battleground and not a playground. I love that because that's the reality. That is the reality. You see, it's a battle out there, guys. It is a battle out there. And I know you know it, but we gotta, we got to be in the battle because, you see, there's morality, civility, values, our history, education, culture, politics, truth. It's all under attack. It's a battle. It's always been a battle. See, in some ways, there's just nothing new under the sun, but... And this isn't the biblical but, this is just a but. But the tide and the times have now changed. Because you see, the difference now is we're in the battle now. We're in the battle, which is why the full armor of God is so important. You see, it's no longer somebody else's battle. We can't point to somebody else and say, oh, it's their battle. No, if you're breathing, it means that you're alive and you're in the battle. And it also means this, you see. It means that if you've been living a comfortable, laissez-faire, middle ground kind of Christianity, you know what? In your Christian faith, that's, that's got to be in the past. And if it isn't in the past, it needs to be. Because it's a battle out there. Now, perhaps more than ever before, if you claim Jesus as Savior, Jesus as Lord, Jesus as Redeemer, you are called into a battle. So you got to put on your armor. And like Richie has been saying for the last several weeks, did you get up this morning and put on your armor? Because the world's throwing some pretty hefty stuff at you. So put on your armor. you got a choice to make. This is the real deal. you got a choice to make, you see. you got to tap all in to the conviction that Jesus is your life, or you can just blend in with the culture and be consumed by it. It's your choice. Because, boy, is it easy to get sucked in and consumed by what the culture is throwing at us. It is. It's all around us. You see, the world needs Jesus. Amen? Okay, so the world needs Jesus, and we know that. But now, see, American Christian, a lot of people around the world have known this, but now it's come to us. American Christian, you see, now it's in our face. It's all around us. It's like, I I don't know about you, but I can't seem to get away from it. It's just like in our face. Now, all of a sudden, it's uncomfortable. It's a spiritual battle out there, and the enemy seems to be ramping it up somehow. I don't know how he does that. He's ramping it up because I think he knows his time is short. So unless you've just arrived here from some other planet, or maybe you're like an ostrich and you've had your head stuck in the sand for the last couple of decades or so, the truth is, you see, now we're surrounded. You are now surrounded on all sides by the battle. And everything is at stake. 
God, family, marriage, sexual preference, gender identification, gender roles, the justice system, the legal system, social, social justice, economics, your religious liberties. These are all things that you've heard lately. All these things are at the heart of the battle and they're smack dab in the middle of the battle right now. It's kind of in our face. No wonder we're told to put on the whole armor of God. I mean, come on, let's get real. See, because if you don't put on the full armor of God, the chances are is that you'll just you'll go down with the culture. The pull is is intense. You gotta have on the battle garb. Don't forget the sword. But what about the salt? Didn't I say that the message today was about salt? Why did Jesus declare that you are the salt of the earth? First and foremost, because it's true. The truth is that if you're sitting here, if you're listening to this, you are the salt of the earth. Don't forget it. It's an imperative statement. And if you know anything about grammar... An imperative statement is something that's true. It is something that is vitally important and it's preemptory, which means that it requires not only your obedience, but it requires your immediate attention. I like that. You are the salt of the earth, Jesus says, and it's preemptory, which means that you've got to decide right now. You've got to make a decision. What am I going to do with that? It's serious stuff. The world around you is in darkness. It's in decay. It's unsavory out there. And according to Jesus, who is the truth, he says, you are the salt of the earth. That's what he said. Colossians 4, 6 says this. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each other. I love this. Paul is referring to salt as a seasoning. A seasoning that what? Makes things taste better. It's pretty clear here, and I think you already know that, and you can probably relate to pouring a little salt on something to make it taste better, right? But don't miss his main point. It's so easy to miss his main point because what his main point is here, he says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. You see, someone put it this way, and I don't know about you, but for this, this is very convicting for me, and I'm going to read it. I don't know who said this. I don't know who to attribute it to. But regardless, it's convicting. You didn't deserve grace. That's God's unmerited favor for us, right? It's a free gift. You didn't do anything to merit that. You can't earn God's grace, can you? Of course you can't. You didn't deserve God's grace. But now that you have it, you better give it as liberally as you received it. Ooh, airy carry. Do we do that? You see, that makes it personal. Is your speech to others gracious? Are you a peacemaker? See, that makes it very personal because words matter. Some pastors even speak from pulpits and churches this morning, probably. And they tend to speak in the third person, you know, the them and the they's. But I've been sitting under Pastor Richie's teaching for about 10 years now. And he rarely, if ever, does that. You will rarely, if ever, hear third-person sermons from the well. 
Usually, the preference here is to speak in the first person. That's the I and the we, right? First person, I, me, my. We speak in the I and the we perspective here. Why? Because when you think about how the message that you are hearing from the Word of God is applying or affecting somebody else first, oh, they ought to hear that message. That would sure be good for you. When you're doing that and not first and foremost applying what you're hearing to you, the I, me, and the my, you've missed the whole point of the Word of God for you because the whole Word of God was not only written for you, it was written to you. Don't forget that. So it's been a challenging year. That's what Jordan said. Right at the outset, he said it's been a challenging year, hasn't it? Virtually all of us right now are thinking COVID-19 too, aren't we? We we think that when we say, boy, it's been a challenge out there. Because in one way or another, I know that this whole COVID thing has affected every single one of us. Nobody in here has not been affected. I mean, the only way you could not be affected is 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 to is to frankly be an ostrich. <laughs> Now, I don't want for a minute to minimize the effects of this whole COVID thing, guys, because people have been sick. People have died from COVID-19. It's a worldwide pandemic. Every single person I personally know in one way or another has been affected. And Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. At the end of 2020, that was four short months ago, the CDC, that's the, that's the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, said that about 345,000 people had died from COVID in the United States alone in 2020. It wasn't even a full year because COVID didn't even really get going until March. That's horrible. Isn't it? Of course it is. It's horrible. It's consumed us, hasn't it? For over a year, all the implications of this thing, it's been horrible. The whole thing has been bad. And Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. It would appear, based on the provisional numbers that are coming out of the end of 2020, that the same CDC said that that COVID virus that has so affected our life was the fourth leading cause of death the fourth. Does that surprise you? The fourth leading cause of death in the United States was COVID-19 in 2020, right behind the top three. Abortion, heart disease, and cancer, all of which killed more than 600,000 people in 2020. The problem is, of course, that the CDC won't list abortion as a cause of death officially. And frankly, it's a pretty uncomfortable subject to even talk about, especially from up here. It doesn't make us comfortable talking about that topic, does it? Can we just get honest? We're at church. If there's ever a place to just be honest and real, it should be sitting right here in the presence of the living God. Amen? But honestly, we need to speak the truth and we need to do it in love according to Ephesians 4.15 that we've just been studying for the last several months through Pastor Richie's teaching. It says, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become 
in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. So never, 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 church, be afraid to speak the truth in love, but always, always, always do it with gentleness and respect, always. You can have a different opposing view to somebody else, but never throw it in their face because that's what the world wants to do to you. Don't give it back to them that way. Always do it with gentleness and respect. Amen? Amen. Amen. So remember, the truth is steadfast, loyal, honest, just, and conformable to a standard. And the standard is Jesus. You see, Jesus said, I am the truth. That's the standard. And Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. You. So church, as horrible as COVID-19 has been, perspective is really important, isn't it? Perspective is important. And, and I'm all in for anybody here that wants to wear a mask or anybody here that doesn't want to wear a mask or anybody here that thinks they need to be six feet socially distanced apart from everybody at all times or people that think that they don't need to be. That's okay. And if you think that you need to get a vaccination or you think that you don't get to need it or you don't need to get a vaccination, all of that is okay. We should never judge anybody by where they stand on that issue for sure because grace should abound in every situation in our life. Amen? But honestly, perspective is really important. As horrible of all those things are that I've just mentioned, perspective is important. So don't lose your perspective, you see, because the death rate in America is still one per person. That hasn't changed. It is still one per person. But if you're a true Christian, the good news is, is that, well, you're going to heaven. <laughs> and we should never minimize the reality and the, and, the, and the horrificness of a global pandemic that is killing people, never, ever, ever minimize that. Or any other disease that we deal with in this fallen world, for that matter. Because the fact of the matter is 100% of people that die in their sin without Jesus, you see, they're going to hell. You don't like hearing that either, do you? It's hard to hear. But it's true, you see. And if that doesn't hurt you deeply knowing that fact, if that doesn't bother you to your core and you're not doing something about it as a follower of Jesus, well, then maybe you aren't the salt of the earth. <sighs> but Jesus said to his followers, you are the salt of the earth. You see, I think there's many hard conversations that are needed out there. We have to have these conversations in the world where only the truth can provide the real answers. We have to be steadfast on the truth. And Jesus in his day, you see, he was never afraid to address the truth in a real head-on fashion, Right? Every issue in the day of Jesus, he issued head on. He was never afraid to do that, and we shouldn't either. Matthew 5.13, again. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything, if that happens, except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You see, at the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus spoke these words, and those who heard him, they knew exactly what he was talking about. 
He was the first century. They knew exactly what he was talking about because unlike today, salt back then could easily lose its flavor. It could lose its saltiness because over time, if it wasn't used in a timely fashion, you see, because of the impurities in the salt, it would become worthless and it was no longer good for anything. And they heard that and they knew exactly what he was talking about. And yet Jesus said to them, and you, you are the salt of the earth. See the implications for them? 2,000 years ago, and the implications for us sitting here today are huge. So, Christian, follower of Jesus, I'm going to ask you, you got to just listen up here. you got to listen up. The enticement of the world out there is very strong. The enticement of the secular world out there is very strong. It's all around us, and we're living in a time where depravity and decay in our culture is shifting so rapidly it's making your head spin. It is making your head spin. It's in your politics, your education system. It's on your electronic devices. It's coming in your home to your television and your entertainment. And Jesus said to his first century followers and his 21st century followers, don't lose your Christian flavor. Don't do it. Don't lose your call to preserve. He's talking salt here. Don't lose your call to preserve the gospel. Don't miss it. What he was saying is don't lose your purity. Don't lose your purity. When Jesus said that to his first century audience, they knew exactly what he was talking about. And we got to understand it too, you see. Because in the first century, they also realized that salt was a very, very valuable commodity. In fact, it was so valuable that oftentimes people got paid in salt. Salt was more valuable than money. Which might happen in our culture (laughs) at the rate they're printing money. But that's a subject for another day. That's where the term he's not worth his salt came from because you used to do a day labor and you'd get paid in salt. And if you weren't a very good worker, the boss would say, man, he's not worth his salt. I just learned this a couple weeks ago. I hope we're worth our salt. See, salt back then was valuable, very valuable, but the salt only held its value. Listen, if you don't get anything else today, listen to this. Salt only held its value if it maintained its purity. If it maintained its purity, it was valuable. Because if salt wasn't well cared for in your possession, if it got wet, if it got dirty, if it got contaminated in any way, if it came to you impure in any way, and remember back then, they didn't process salt. There was no processing. They mined it. They used it. They didn't process it. Well, it could get contaminated, and it could lose its flavor, and if it did, Jesus said it is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Contaminated salt, impure salt that lost its flavor was no longer good as a preservative or a flavor enhancement. Get it? You get it? They got it. That's why it's so important to understand the culture of the day so that we can get the words of, of Christ and we can get the words of the apostles that were written that were, that were so inspired to us. We have to understand what was going on so that we can actually understand it, so we can process it, so that, that we can apply it. The truth in this declarative statement, along with the warning, is very, very clear. In a polarized world, you are the salt. You're the salt. Church, come on, you're the salt. Okay. See, followers of Jesus are called to be all in. 
Yep. Very salty. Not going to lose its flavor. This is pure salt. You got to put on the full armor every day. Jesus said you will be blessed if you do that. Because you will preserve the good news of the gospel. And to a desperate, polarized, and polarized, antistic, antagonistic, hurting, decaying, and dying world that are right outside the doors. If you don't lose your purity, you see, you will be flavorful for Christ. Do you want to be flavorful for Jesus? I mean, come on, he's the truth. He's not only the truth, he's the way, and he's the life. So, you know what, guys? I think we live in a time of tremendous opportunity. It's pores, doesn't it? We live in a time of tremendous opportunity. John Wesley, the English theologian, said this, and you're going to love it. Do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can, and I would name and do it all in the name of Jesus. Amen? You see, this is your life in Christ. Because God is good, and all the time, Jesus is your life, and your life is your ministry. You don't have to make it any more complicated than that. It's not. And the way you know that you're pouring salt out in your life is by listening to and obeying the Lord, and do that in a wholehearted way. He's not looking for half-heartedness. He's looking for wholeheartedness. He gave himself wholly to you, and he's asking you to give yourself wholly back to him. There's a lot at stake. Time is short. Impacting your world for Christ is a matter of being obedient and simply being who you are in this world. And you are a child of the living God whose name is written in heaven. Amen? Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. Don't lose your saltiness. Don't lose your purity by getting sucked into a polarized world that's antagonistic system that pits people against one another and pits truth against lies. Don't get sucked into that. You do that by putting on the full armor every day. You see, because there's Christian nationalism, there's First and Second Amendment rights, there's climate change, there's social justice, there's gender equality, and the list goes on and on and on. And church, these are not the issues of the day. Important as most of those things are, those are not the issue of the day. Jesus is the issue of the day. Hope is the issue of the day. Joy is the issue of the day. And the gospel and salvation for a dying world, you see, these are the issues of the day. And if that's not your priority, I'm going to encourage you today to make it. Make that your priority. Because Jesus said in the Beatitudes that we read from the very beginning in Matthew 5, that you see, you will be blessed if you make those things the priority of your life, you see. And if they are the priority, Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. And this is what salt looks like in Ephesians 4.31. Get rid of all bitterness. How much? 
Get rid of it all. Get rid of it. Quit being bitter. And get rid of rage and anger. Get rid of anger. The world is angry. We shouldn't be angry. We're following Jesus, for goodness sakes. We're going to heaven. Give me a break. We shouldn't be angry. What is there to be angry about? Get rid of harsh words, slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, he says, be kind to each other. Trans, be, be, be tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. See, that's what salt looks like. Make it practical. Ephesians 4, 6 says, let your speech always. How often? Always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. You see, that's what salt looks like. It's a battle out there. Don't walk into the world this morning or any, any morning, for that matter, without first putting on the full armor of God. Because you are the salt of the world. You are the salt on the earth. You are the salt that brings flavor. You are the salt that is the preservative. Vinny, shy come up. Anybody know who Charles Spurgeon is? I love reading Charles Spurgeon. He said this. Charles Spurgeon said that we are here to glorify Christ in our daily life. And then he said we are here as workers for him. And this is a mind blower, but it's true. And as workers with him. We are here to glorify Christ in our daily life. We are here as workers for him and as workers with him. Guys, if Jesus is your life, if Jesus is your life, then your life right now, your life right now, this very moment, and every moment going forward, don't look back, look forward. You're not defined by what your past is or what's happened to you or where you've been or what you've done or what people have said or what people think. None of that matters. It might affect us a little bit, but it's about going forward, you see, because if Jesus is your life, then your life is your ministry and you've got to make that count because it's a battle out there and there's a dying world that people need to know that Jesus Christ is Lord. You see, eternity is at stake for many. And they're angry. And there is a there is a there are factions that are being promoted to try to keep you separated from that absolute truth that Jesus is the Lord of your life and that your life is your ministry. To speak kind, tender-hearted words to everybody that you meet. To speak the truth in love. To represent Jesus because you're not only working for him in this world, but you're working with him. You see, Jesus said, because it is true that you are the salt of the earth. Amen? Let's pray. Father, these are powerful words that come from your scriptures. And I know you want us to understand them. 
And you've only given them to us because you love us. And you're teaching us how to live. Live a life for you. Live a life with you. Live a life in you. Thank you how you do that. Forgive us, God, that we have complicated it. And I pray right now, Lord, that you would help us to understand how we can just simplify the fact that as followers of you, because you are the truth, Lord, that we can make an impact in a world that so desperately needs to be impacted. Help us, God, not to, not to put our head in the sand any longer. God, help us to be the peacemakers. Help us, God, to share the truth. Help us to do that in a way that brings flavor to the gospel. That brings flavor to you, Jesus, as Savior. Help us, God, to be the kind of people that are so tender towards others that you are glorified and that your message to a world that you love and that their eternity is at stake for just simply recognizing their need for you. We need your help to do that, God, because we certainly can't do it on our own. So thank you for how you do that. Thank you for how you do that. Today we're going to take communion, and communion, of course, is for believers, and if you're a believer, the communion cups are for you right in front of your seats. The communion meal is something that Jesus ordained a long time ago, and he reminded his followers, he said, listen, just do this in remembrance of me. And I think maybe today... If the Lord has spoken to you in whatever way he has spoken to you, take the communion in remembering his goodness and our need, frankly. Take communion today. Just hold the cups. Go back a layer. Take the, take the little wafer bread the way we do it now during COVID. Turn it over and take the cup. And very symbolically, just remember who Jesus is and that he's calling you into an abiding long-term relationship with him because he's the truth and he is the answer. So take the communion when you're ready.